Amen. Well, I had a uh, great week at camp this past week, as I mentioned earlier. Each year, I leave camp physically exhausted, as each day is filled with various activities. And each year, I find that I get more and more physically worn out from camp. My body gets more and more uh, sore as I do the same amount of activities year in and year out. Uh, but uh, year in and year out, my body can't quite handle uh, those sort of activities. So it was a struggle to climb up and down those stairs. Any time that I sat for more than five minutes, oh, man, that was rough. It got to me. Uh, 25, yeah, I should, not be str- I should not be struggling with that. So we're only resting about five hours per night. So I leave camp each year physically depleted, but... I also leave camp spiritually rejuvenated. Anytime I get to spend a week with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ worshiping our good God, I am going to feel spiritually rejuvenated. And I think weeks like fuel are a sneak peek of what the fulfillment of God's kingdom is going to look like. And if you ask me, I think God's kingdom was alive and well at fuel this past week. So I am personally, I am spiritually rejuvenated because of that. And so I hope you are all ready for me this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to dive right into the text. If, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter six. Today, we're actually going to be concluding our series on the book of Ephesians called Living Like a Saint. This is the first time uh, we're together uh, as a church. We've gone through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, from the beginning to the end. And it's been a journey as we've taken a look at Paul's, as Paul's letter that he wrote to the saints at Ephesus, where basically, essentially, he encourages the saints at Ephesus to meet their calling as a saint. Paul wants them to live like a saint. And you and I, we, we, can, we can put ourselves in the shoes of the saints at Ephesus, for we are Gentile believers who at some point in our life, we put our faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. And so you and I, we, we are just like these saints at Ephesus. We are just like these Christians, these children of God. And so this morning, we'll be uh, reading from uh, Exodus chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 10 of chapter 6, and we're going to close out the book. And the bulk of our section uh, of scripture this morning revolves around standing against the evil forces of the world. I think we are all very, very well aware that there are some strong evil forces at play here in the 21st century. And there's nothing new under the sun. And so these same strong evil forces were at play 100 years ago, 200 years ago, these, these evil forces were at play during the time when Paul write this letter to the saints at Ephesus. And so Paul breaks down this discussion of these evil forces into three parts. The first part that we'll take a look at this morning is Paul is going to provide a description of the nature of the battle. What, what sort of battle is taking place here that we are talking about? The second part in this letter, in this section of scripture, uh, Paul's talking about a call to resist the powers by putting on the armor of God, our defense against these evil forces at at play. And then uh, the the third part uh, of this bulk of scripture that we'll take a look this morning, we are provided a reminder to pray and be 
alert. So, so this all revolves around the idea that we are at war and we need to equip ourselves. And so if you have your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So Paul knows he, he, he's nearing the end of his letter. And so he, here are his closing remarks of his letter. He says, finally, finally, guys, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. When I read this, my mind immediately goes back to the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, uh, God instructs Joshua to be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. See, God instructed Joshua and the Israelites to be strong, to be courageous. And now, why in the world was God instructing Joshua and the Israelites to be strong? It's because Joshua and the Israelites, they were getting ready to go to war. They were getting ready to go to battle. The Joshua or Moses led the Israelites around the wilderness for 40 years, and he led them just on the other side of the Jordan River, just on the other side of the Promised Land. And it was Joshua's job to lead the Israelites in the conquest of Canaan, the conquest of the Promised Land. Now, the issue is there were people who were already living there. There were people who needed to be driven out of the promised land. And so there was going to be many, many wars. There, there was going to be an ongoing battle as the Israelites were, were pursuing to possess the land of Canaan. And so God instructed them to be strong and be courageous because you are about to go to battle. In a very, very similar context, God tells the people through the Apostle Paul to be strong because they are going to battle. They are at war. And Paul here is going to explain the context of this war in, in, in the coming verses here. And so Paul writes in verse 11 about this war, the, the, these evil forces. He says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So here, Paul says that we are empowered when we put on the armor of God. And Paul here, in a minute here, we're going to take a look piece by piece what exactly this armor of God entails. But he tells us that our, that our power doesn't come from ourselves. We don't draw our strength from ourselves. We draw our strength from God as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are empowered saints. God has given you power a power that, that is not accessible to everybody here on earth, only accessible to those who have given their life over to God and his son, Jesus. And when you do, when you live a life of faith, you will be given power. You'll be given the armor of God, and that serves as our defense so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. You know, Paul identifies that this battle that we are facing, we, we, we are fighting this battle right now as we, as we speak. We are fighting this war. And Paul identifies that this battle is not against flesh and blood. What he's saying here is this battle is not against fellow humans. 
Surely we do struggle against other humans, and surely the devil does work through other humans. But the main antagonist in your life story is the devil and, its spirit, and his spiritual forces at play. And so Paul says in verse 12 that we are wrestling against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces of evil. Many people believe here that Paul is going through the different ranks of these evil forces at play. You have the rulers and the authorities, the, the evil spiritual forces that have authority and leadership over these other evil forces. And then Paul says we then have the cosmic powers and the spiritual forces of evil under the, the leadership of these different rulers and authorities. In and, and, uh, the Gospels, we, we can read of the account where Jesus, he confronts this man who is possessed by a demon, and this demon's name is Legion. This legion, he has many demons working under him. So, so apparently there, there's some sort of rank and some sort of order at play here. And so Paul, many people believe here in verse 12, where he uh, lists, we're, we're wrestling against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, the, the present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil. Many people think the, these are the different ranks and orders of the forces that we are experiencing in our lives today. Some people, they also believe uh, that the rulers and authority that Paul is alluding here to is actually Satan working through some people uh, in positions of authority here on earth. But whatever the case may be, who, whoever Paul specifically is talking about here, we see that Satan is truly at work, and he and his followers, they are going to battle. That's something that, that I question myself pretty frequently. How active is the devil today in our society? Does anybody else wonder that, how active the devil is today? I, I wonder that all of the time. When I read through uh, the four different gospels, we see time and time and time and time again where Jesus is confronting these people who are possessed by demons. Jesus himself was tempted by Satan himself. Jesus himself was dealing with the children of the devil. Remember, that's what he called the Pharisees, that these guys are the children of the devil. And so in, in the life and ministry of Jesus that we read from the accounts of the Gospels, we see that the devil was very, very active. And my question is, is how active is the devil and, and, and these demons active in our society today, today in the 21st century? And I'll tell you, when I read passages like this here in chapter 6, it seems like they are a whole lot more active and play a larger role than what I give them credit for. And, and, and that is a dangerous thing to do. Charles uh, Bottle, I'm going to uh, butcher this name, but Charles Baudelaire uh, famously said that we, we, many of us have heard this quote, uh, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. So I believe that the, the devil is at work. The devil is active, his followers, and they are ready to go to war. They are going to war. They are going to battle as we speak right now. And so we must be prepared. We must be prepared against these evil forces that are at play in this world today. And we prepare ourselves by putting on the armor of God and taking our stand, not from our own strength, but from the strength of God. 
as God fills us with his precious Holy Spirit. And so we have God's strength living within us. The power available to Christians is exactly the same power that God used to raise Jesus from death. That same power is living within you. Can I get an amen? You have that power living within you, and it's the power to defy and defeat the works of Satan. That is awesome. That is good news. And so when we talk about these evil forces, we also have to mention there's no reason that we should be scared. You know, some people, they, they shudder in their boots when, when we start talking about the devil and these demons and the power that they have. That's the bad news. The good news is that the power of God that's living within us, we have been given the power to defeat the works of Satan. Satan has no power over you if you properly equip yourselves with the armor of God Amen, I love it, yes. So in verse 14, if we continue here, Paul says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So now we're gonna break down uh, this armor of God piece by piece. And Paul describes the different pieces of Christian armor, this armor of God, as though he is equipping a Roman soldier himself. It's very possible that at the same time Paul was writing this letter or dictating it to someone to write, uh, that he could have been uh, chained by the wrist to a Roman soldier. And so here we have a picture of what a Roman soldier would have looked like. So we see here in this picture, this Roman soldier, they have the helmet, they have the, the breastplate, they have this big old shield, they have a sword, and they have their shoes. And this is what a, a common day Roman soldier would have looked like in the time of Paul. And so Paul, as, as he's looking at these Roman soldiers who are imprisoning him, Paul then, he uses this uh, as an analogy to talk about the armor of God that we wear. And so in verse 14, he says that we have fastened on the belt of truth. The belt would keep a soldier's armor intact. If we look at that Roman soldier up there, the, the, the belt is what would hold the breastplate in place and also provided an attachment for the sword. So it's what kept the soldier's armor intact. And this belt of truth is what holds our armor together as well. When we understand who we are in God and what sort of power we have through God, that holds the rest of our armor in place. It puts it all into perspective. And so you and I, in our defense against the devil and these evil forces of the world, we have a belt of truth that holds the rest of our armor in place. And so Paul says that we're not only wearing a belt of truth, a belt of truth by itself would not serve uh, much purpose. But on top of the belt of truth, we put on the breastplate of righteousness. For a soldier, the, the breastplate protects the vital organs of their body. It often be covered either in leather, bronze, or iron. And, and so the, this heavy breastplate that these soldiers would wear, it protect them from someone taking their sword and trying to slash their vital organs or a spear or whatever it may be. It protect these vital organs in our chest and belly. And similarly, for Christians, our vital organs are protected by righteousness. We are clothed 
and righteousness, we are impregnable. When we live a righteous life, we are protected from the works of sin because when we live a righteous life, we do not partake in the works of sin, in the ill effects of sin. And so this breastplate of righteousness, doing the right things in our life, it provides protection for us as Christians. It provides protection against the schemes of the devil. So Paul continues in verse 15, he says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So you and I in this armor of God, we have shoes prepared with the gospel of peace. Shoes for the Roman soldiers, they would be good for two things. These shoes would be good for marching towards the battle, going towards this war. But these shoes would also serve another purpose and it would help them stand firm and stand ground when the enemy is coming their way. So it prepares them to go and it prepares them to hold their ground against the enemy. And similarly, Christians, when we put on the, the shoes of the gospel of peace, it serves as two purposes. We can be ready to go anywhere with the good news. You know, it, it serves as an attack. We can go and we can go to those who do not have the good news and we can go with our shoes prepared with the gospel of peace and we can go and share the good news of the cross, the resurrection, and the kingdom. And on the flip side of things with these shoes prepared with the gospel of peace, we are able to hold our ground with the gospel when under attack. When, 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 when people are shouting insults at you, when, when, when people are assaulting you, they cannot take away this gospel of peace that we have readily available to us. And so it serves for us to go, and it serves us to help defend as well. And then in verse 16, Paul says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And so the shield that Paul here would be envisioning, it's not the shield that you would see like in the movie Gladiator. I've never seen uh, the movie Gladiator, but if you've seen the movie Gladiator, the, these Roman gladiators, they'd have a small shield and a sword. But, but the shield, uh, it, it, was not, it did not cover its whole body. It, ben, if you could bring up uh, the picture of the Roman uh, soldier again. If you see here, this is uh, an everyday common so soldier in the day of Paul. And the, the shields would be good to deflect arrows coming their way as it protects much of their bodies. And similarly, for us as Christians, this shield of faith that we wear it can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one. And so a Roman soldier, when, when they are together working as one battalion, one army, the, the shield can serve two purposes. Number one, it can serve as uh, like a wedge, and they could advance together as they go and besiege a city. But also can serve as uh, a wall for defense. If uh, an army is shooting arrows at the Roman soldiers, they could form a, uh, basically a big old wall with their big shields and, and deflect the arrows coming their way or people charging with a spear or sword, whatever it may be. And the shields also, interestingly, I just learned this, the shields were covered with hide uh, back in the day so that they could extinguish fires or extinguish flaming arrows coming their way. And so just like that, we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one with the shield of faith. As Paul sees, and Paul is very well aware of the darts 
of doubt and temptation which rain down on Christians all of the time, all the time. And that's why Paul says in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. We don't just bring along the shield of faith when we think the, these flaming arrows are coming in our way, but we bring it with us for all circumstances because these doubts and, then, and these temptations, they hit us when we least suspect them. So at all times, we carry the shield of faith to, to deflect these darts of doubt and temptation which come our way on a daily basis. And without the, that shield of faith, you will not be prepared. Without this faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, when doubt comes our way, when an atheist comes our way and asks a really good question, we don't have our shield of faith, guess what? We're going to lose our faith. When we lose our faith, we lose the armor of God. And so the shield of faith uh, plays an extremely important role in the armor of God. Then verse 17, Paul says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so a helmet serves as protection for both the head and neck, two extremely important parts of your body. And for a Roman soldier, it was made of iron and bronze. For the Christian, our helmet is forged from salvation. As this helmet of salvation is our assurance that we have salvation through Christ. There is nothing that anybody can do to take away your salvation. If you have a living and active faith in God and his son, Christ Jesus, then you can be assured of your faith with your helmet of salvation. There's nothing that nobody can do to stop you in, in claiming your prize in God's kingdom. The enemy, they may come and seek to behead you. You know, we see that today in our day and age. Uh, mostly we see it in, in foreign countries where Christians today are beheaded because of their faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. You know, that might happen to you and I. I, I can't guarantee you anything. That might happen to you today. You might go home on your way. There might be an evil man come and behead you simply because you have a faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. The good news for us is that even if that happens, Lord forbid that happens, but even if it does, they cannot take away our salvation where everything wrong with this world will be made right. And so with this helmet of salvation, we have assurance that we will partake in God's coming kingdom one day. And in the last part of this armor of God that Paul talks about here in verse 17 is the sword of the Spirit. And this piece of the armor of God can be used as uh, both a defensive or an offensive weapon. If someone came swinging a sword or uh, thrusting with a spear at a Roman soldier, they could deflect the attack with their sword. And on the other hand, a Roman soldier could initiate the attack by thrusting or slashing their sword at an enemy. So the, the, this last uh, piece of the armor of God can be served as a defense or an offensive as well. And Paul says that the spirit, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And so we can use the word of God as both a way to deflect an attack towards us or we can also use the sword of the spirit, this word of God, as an offense, as an attack. 
As far as when we talk about being a defense, we, we see this play out in the life of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is confronted by the devil himself, and the devil tempts him three times. Do you know how Jesus defended against the temptations of the devil? He defended himself with the word of God. He quoted the word of God to defend himself against the temptations of the devil. And you and I, when we are faced with temptation, we can deflect these temptations when we have God's word stored in our heart. When it's stored in our heart, God's word has so much power, it serves as a defense in our life. Now, on the other hand, we can share what we believe others through God's word. And so it can serve as an offense in this battle, in this war that we are fighting today. We can bring more people onto our side with the word of God and sharing the word of God. And so when we equip ourselves with the whole armor of God, we are ready to go to battle against the devil and the forces of evil. When we have on the full armor of God, the devil does not even stand a chance against you because you have God's power living within you. And there's so much power in that. But the second that we ease up, the second that we leave the house without the shield of faith, the second that we leave our house without the sword of the spirit or helmet of salvation or breastplate of righteousness, it's then that people slip and they fall and they make mistakes. And so we've got to equip the whole armor of God ready to defend ourselves against the forces of evil that is present in our life today. And not only do we have the armor of God to protect us, but Paul talks about another very, very, very powerful weapon and defense that is readily available for you and I. Verse 18, Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So on top of the armor of God and the power that's presented with the armor of God, we have the ultimate weapon in prayer. And not just sometimes, but all the time. Paul says praying at all times. All the time we should have God on our mind. All the time we should be communicating with God in our daily lives. It's an extremely powerful attack, an extremely strong defense in this battle that you and I are facing today. And so not only should we be strengthening ourselves with prayer, but Paul says that we ought to lift one another up in prayer as well. As well. And, and Paul, he asked this of the saints at Ephesus. He, he asked them, guys, please pray for me. I'm sitting in chains. And what I find very interesting while Paul is in prison, he doesn't ask for them to pray that he may be set free. If we had this sort of situation, the circumstance of the 21st century, and we brought this issue to the church, I'm guessing the majority of our prayers would revolve around setting this innocent man free. That's just a guess. That's just a hunch that I have. 
But Paul, he doesn't ask to be set free. Instead, he asks in verse 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That's awesome. I love Paul. Instead of praying to be set free, he asks his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, God, please give me the strength that I can share this message of good news with those around me, that I can do it with boldness. This is coming from the same man who was put in prison because he was boldly proclaiming the mysteries of the gospel. We need to have that same sort of boldness. You know, too often, I think we neglect the weightier matters in our prayers. We do great for praying for people's safety and health, but how often do we pray for each other's battle against the devil and the evil forces of the world? How often do you do that in your walk with God in your daily prayer life? How often do we pray to give each other boldness to proclaim, to proclaim the gospel in whatever circumstance they may find? How often do we pray for spiritual matters in our day and age? You know, praying for cousin Bobby's wife's brother's nephew's third cousin's bad knee is great and all, but why do we often neglect this, the, the spiritual matters in people's lives? We've got to remember our purpose in life. We've got to remember what's important. And we have to be praying for these things. I'm not at all saying stop praying for the safety and the physical health of people. Not at all. If that's what you think, you're not hearing me. But what we need to do is we can't neglect the weightier matters of life and, and the spiritual warfare taking place and praying for people to have the boldness to share the mystery of the gospel with those around them. And so finally, these last couple of verses, Paul sends final greetings to the church at Ephesus. And Paul says, so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So finally, at the end of this letter, Paul sends his, his final greetings and he sends them peace, love, and grace as they are fighting this war. And so that is the book of Ephesians from beginning to end. The first book that we've covered together as a church verse by verse. And to me, when I study, when I dive through the book of Ephesians, to me, Paul is essentially telling me that I have to meet my calling in life. You have to meet your calling in life. And we see at the beginning of this book, God has called you to be a saint. He's called you to be a Christian. He has called you to be a child of God. And we have got to live like that. We have got to live like a saint. That is who you are called to be. A saint is simply someone who is set apart from those around them. 
And we're not just talking about Sunday morning. When you woke up this morning and you decided to come to church, you did an awesome job in setting yourselves apart from those around you. So kudos to you. You can give yourself a pat on the back. But guess what? We're talking about Monday as well. Your Monday has to look different than those around you. And the same applies to your Tuesday, to your Wednesday, to your Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday as well. They have to. They have to look different from those around you. If it looks the same as the ordinary person in our society, then you are not meeting your call to live life as a saint. Your actions have to be different. Your thoughts have to be different. Your emotions have to be different. Your habits, your character, who you are has to be different. And if not, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You'll be cast into the gates of hell if you fit in with those around you. On the flip side of things, if we meet our calling to live our life as a saint, I'm telling you, there is a day coming where Christ, who is currently seated at the right hand of God, Christ is going to descend from heaven to earth, and through the power of God, the saints of the world will have victory over death once and for all. We will have victory over sin once and for all. We'll be given power and authority. We'll have no more worries, and we will partake in a never-ending celebration for God is good, and God loves you, and God has a special plan for you if you live like a saint. So everything is at stake here when we talk about living like a saint. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this letter of Ephesians, these words that you put on the Apostle Paul's heart. Father, I pray that we can apply all of these lessons that we have learned in digging deep into this letter. I pray that we can apply them in our lives. And I pray that our week, our thoughts, our actions, our habits, our character looks different from those around us. That we meet the calling that you have given to us. That we can live like a saint. And Father, we long for that day and age where you will raise every saint from death to everlasting life. Until then, Father, I pray that you watch over us as a church. It's in Christ's precious and holy and powerful name that we pray.